Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Sam Tavanayagam, also known as Sam T. Sam is the president and CEO of Parts Life, Inc. His leadership focus is to inspire others around me to achieve their God-given potential that defies critics and to thrive in the face of adversity. So welcome, Sam Tavanayagam. How are you? I am doing well, and how are you? I'm doing well, and we are so happy to have you on our podcast. As you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Now, Sam, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? So I was reflecting on kind of my leadership journey, and I think it probably started you know, as a young person playing a team sport, both my parents were athletes and I saw that not only were they athletes, they were people who led as part of a team. So I grew up around that. I played a team sport and I would say that a lot of uh, who I am, how life has shaped me is what I learned as being part of a team. And then even the leadership piece is what I've seen or has developed primarily on a sports team, you know, so mm-hmm. I would say that as I reflect on my journey, even though, you know, I've been working now for 30 years and I've had to lead in a work environment, if you would say, hey, where did it all start? I would say it started as a young person playing a team sport. I learned about working together with somebody else on a team, but then learning about leadership on a sports team. Mm. What sport? So when I was young, I played a game called cricket. I know that that is a game that may not be familiar to much of your audience because they would be much more familiar with baseball. Mm-hmm. But baseball came out of cricket. And, uh, you know, I played a little bit of rugby, which is very similar to American football. Mm-hmm. I also ran track and played a little bit of soccer. So I did a little bit of everything, but I played all of those sports in high school and middle school. And what are you doing now? So today I am the president and CEO of Parts Life and a new company that I purchased called Deval Lifecycle Support. And other than that, I'm a husband and a father. My wife and I have five children. So, you know, it takes not only leadership at work, but leadership at home as well. Oh, yes. Being a father to three sons and two daughters. Right. Doesn't that prime your leadership? Oh, my gosh. I would say that... Uh, my challenge at leadership at home is as uh, severe as my leadership <laughs> at work. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I have a son who's 15 and he certainly primes my leadership and I love it. I mean, I'm learning a lot. I continue to learn a lot daily with him. Yep. I, I absolutely get it. I mean, I don't have five kids. I just have one. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, having five children and having every one of them go through a different season in mm-hmm. their lives is actually a, a good way to keep your feet firmly planted on the ground and recognize that 
you know, they're all five are different. And also the, the seasons that they're going through are different, right? Mm-hmm. And so how to deal with success with them, how to deal with failure, how to just be there during the th- things where nothing's happening. And so, you know, it's all good. Great. Now, Sam, how would you describe your leadership style? Well, first of all, I think I've been all over the place with it. But I think the thing that I've settled on is something that I learned just this past year. But if I go back, you know, I took the course with Ken Blanchard about 20 years ago regarding situational leadership. Mm -hmm. And basically, situational leadership says the leadership style that you would use with a team member or a family member is Mm -hmm. not necessarily about the person, but about the situation. Mm-hmm. So I was most comfortable in that style of leadership to say, hey, what is the situation? Does this situation require me working with this person in a capacity to direct that person? Or can I actually delegate or support that person? Right. So I would say that I was most comfortable in that situational leadership model. But recently, I took a course with uh, Doug Conant's Leadership Institute, and, uh, you know, Doug actually challenged us to embrace our own leadership style. And so I have started to, you know, think in terms, and I've started to embrace my own leadership way of doing things. Hmm. So you look at the needs around you, and you look to meet those needs, is that right? Yes, absolutely. Right. Even if you think about the two companies that I lead, Parts Life uh, is a company that I started uh, 11 years ago uh, with the little resources that I had and a lot of faith. And, uh, you know, today Parts Life is in a growth phase. Uh, We have a lot of leadership in place. So in the life cycle of a company, uh, that's where they are. This company that I bought in September last year was a company that was 60 years old. I bought it out of bankruptcy mm-hmm. and it needed a lot of oxygen to get it to it being viable, it being credible. It's a turnaround situation. So the leadership style that I have to use in both these companies are very different uh, mm-hmm. because they need different things from me. You know, you know, I love how you said the company needed oxygen. That speaks to me because what I envision is that it needed to be sustained. It needed to be brought back to life. It needed to be energized. And I love that. Good leadership is oxygen. Yes, absolutely. And that oxygen could be different things. You know, sometimes it's cash, but mm-hmm. other times it's hope. It's creating vision. It's just saying, thank you for being a part of this place. Thank you for what you've done so far. And being able to give them fresh vision and fresh legs, as I call it. I use a football term. My three sons all played football in high school. And so I've been around them quite a bit, you know, hear what the coaches are saying to them. And I talk in terms of fresh feet, right, to say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, we need quick feet and we need fresh feet. And so you're right. All of that is oxygen. So sometimes, you know, when you're thinking in terms of a company that's coming out of bankruptcy, you think the only thing that it needs is cash. And it's far from it. You know, people need, you know, much more than throwing money at it. You know, so sometimes you will see this in government where they're trying to throw money at a problem and think that money can solve it. A leader who I have a lot of admiration for, said to me, a problem that can be solved by money is not a problem. Mm. And inversely, there are some problems that you can't solve with money. And it needs leadership. It needs presence. Part of being a leader is to be present. 
right? So mm -hmm. for instance, these last few months, normally around this time, I would take a trip to Sri Lanka, which is originally where I'm from, but I've decided to postpone that trip because I need to be present. I need to be present for the people in the company that I purchased. I need to be present for the customers who have to get product. I need to be present for the suppliers who are counting on the work that we give them. So I think a part of it is being present and making sure that sometimes you don't even have to say anything. The fact that you're around is important. It certainly speaks that you care. Being present says a lot to those around you. Now, your company's name is Parts Life. Parts, P-A-R-T-S, Life. Okay. You got it. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's interesting that I started the company before I really found a value proposition, but that was a God thing because I found the company and I thought I was going to be in the automotive business. My background is in automotive remanufacturing, automotive aftermarket. But in 2007, when I started Parts Life, the automotive industry didn't need my services. And so I pivoted towards the military, the Department of Defense has a lot of expensive and mission critical assets mm -hmm. that needed support closer to the end of life or older assets where the OEMs were not necessarily able to support those assets. Mm -hmm. And we carved a niche to be able to get in there and be able to provide the support in parts and components and systems in order to extend the life of those assets. So as an example, the Aegis weapon system is older. You know, it's over 50 years old. The B-52, the Air Force flies, is over 50 years old. So as you think about these expensive assets, sometimes the OEMs are not even around. The B-52 was made by McDonnell Douglas. McDonnell Douglas does not exist as a company today. So naturally, the parts and components that go on the B-52, there is nobody to be able to supply those parts. And they are planning on using the B-52 for another 20 years. So if you think about the name Parts Life, you would see how we are able to do exactly what our name says. We give life to the parts that are needed in order to be able to operate these assets. Mm. So I have no clue about your industry, but what I do see and what I do hear, Sam, is that as a leader, you're visionary. You see the needs around you and you meet those needs. Um, you talked about pivoting and that's something that as leaders, we need to want to do. If there's some area that doesn't work, right, we need to pivot and look at how we can make it work. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Now, Sam, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Yeah, so it's interesting, right? As I think about, you know, people like Winston Churchill, mm -hmm. if you think about Mahatma Gandhi, you think about Nelson Mandela, and also leaders right here in the U.S. I mean, I grew up watching movies with my father on George Patton, you know, and mm -hmm. what he did in helping to beat the enemy in the Second World War. So mm -hmm. those are all people that I looked up to and I would say I drew leadership from. But I would say that the things that motivate me the most is both my father and then, you know, I go back to the Bible. So I will go into a little bit of both. My father used to say, take care of the little things 
and the big things will take care of themselves. So my father was a real leader. He was in the military. He went to a very prestigious military school in England called Sanders Military Academy. And so a lot of my leadership was shaped and formed by him. So that's what he would say, take care of the little things and the big things will take care of themselves. So I'm big about that. I'm big about making sure that I teach that to my children. And also I'm big about teaching that to my leaders here at work. But then the thing that really challenges me even more than what my father said was, you know, what Jesus said. And he said, the greatest of you must be a servant. And so I have started to really think about that and be challenged by that. In fact, I actually created a course that I teach on servant leadership. And it's interesting because as a young person growing up in a middle-class home in Sri Lanka, I actually grew up around servants, you know, from the time I was born till the time I left home at 22, we always had a servant in the house. And I went back and said, okay, you know, let me understand what are some of the attributes of what that means to be a servant. And I started to think about that and I started to document that. And now I actually teach it. And let me give you a quick example. So yesterday I was asked to speak at a police event here in Philadelphia. They had about 250 police officers and they were celebrating their service. And uh, people who had organized it had asked me to speak for five minutes to motivate these officers, which I did. I talked to them, thanked them for their service and all that kind of stuff. And then when I got done, I realized it's great for me to speak, but it would be better for me to serve. So when I finished speaking and I finished eating, I decided I was going to go around and clear the tables of these officers who were finishing their meal. And, you know, I'm sure many of them were surprised the fact that I was actually clearing tables. But I did that both as an act of service to these officers to show them that I care, but as importantly to teach myself that really, in order to be a leader, that I needed to continue to serve. And for me to model that. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes when you're teaching and when you're a leader, you're always asked to speak about stuff. And you don't necessarily always have an opportunity to be able to model that which you're teaching. And so I try to take opportunity to model that which I'm also speaking about, because then it keeps my feet well grounded on so I'm not just talking about it I'm actually doing you know Sam I love that so a couple of things come to mind for me is how you practiced humility because it takes a humble heart one to realize that I'm not just here to speak and be seen but I'm here to serve and to put into practice what you're teaching you had to be very present to get that and you had to become what you were talking about. So I think that's a wonderful example of servant leadership. So I'm curious, how did the officers respond? It's interesting. Some of them just said, thank you. Some of them didn't want me to do it. And I said, no, allow me to do it because mm -hmm. I want to serve you, you know, but I could tell that I challenged them with what I did because I think that's part of being authentic too, right? And I had good word for them. I spoke to them for five minutes and I spoke from my heart and I challenged them on some things that I felt was appropriate to their situation. But it was neat, I thought, then for me to actually serve them because guess what? If they didn't listen to me when I was speaking, I'm sure reflected on what I said mm -hmm. because they saw me serve. 
right? Because I think part of being a leader is to be authentic. So it is being present, but being authentic, right? So I think part of uh, being a leader is to have empathy, right? And empathy is different to sympathy in the sense that empathy is to feel how somebody else is feeling. You know, we talked about being present, right? Mm -hmm. Is to recognize what the situation is and being able to be an example in that situation. And it's not only for that moment, right? So I didn't do that for the moment. I did that because I wanted to impact these officers for a long time to come, Mm -hmm. right? So it was more about being a person of influence, right? So I think that sometimes people say that being a leader is defined in one word, is being a person of influence. Most times I have found that the best way to influence somebody is to serve them. Right. And, you know, as I think about our audience, I think about the education field and how it certainly does impact us when we see someone put into practice what they are professing, you know, with the students, with the administration, with the educators, all around. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Sam, what's the best advice you've ever received? My mother was somebody that was very influential as well. I often talk about my father, but sometimes I forget to acknowledge who my mother was in my life. My mother was a very strong woman. She was an athlete. She was beautiful and she was intelligent, but she was also an extremely strong person. I would say that she always wanted me to stay humble. You know, there were times I remember when I was about 25 years old, I had probably one of the worst leaders that I ever worked for. And, you know, this person really came after me personally. And I called her. It was a long distance phone call. And I was complaining to my mother. I said something about, you know, he can't even shine my shoes. But here he is, you know, really giving me a hard time. And what I was expecting was that my mother would actually empathize with me, right? Mm -hmm. I thought that she would give me a shoulder to cry on or a shoulder to continue to say what I was saying. But she said, you know, son, just be humble. She said, you know, just learn to be humble and get through that situation, right? Mm -hmm. And so I mentor a lot of young people. And one of the things I tell them is that part of what I didn't do when I had tough assignments, tough leaders, tough situations was that I didn't quit. And I think God used that, informing me and teaching me. Because, you know, there were many times that I had formidable things that I had to accomplish, formidable things I had to learn. And the easy thing would have been to walk away or to give up. But to persevere through those things and to recognize there is light at the end of the tunnel and just be able to get through that situation. Because that's part of building character. You know, in order to be a leader, you need to be able to have gone through stuff. And those are the stripes that you earn in order to lead. And so I think that my mother, not only again in what she said, but what she did, she taught me to be selfless and taught me to just be humble, you know, and to recognize that it was not all about me, that I just needed to be humble, needed to get through that situation, that that situation would eventually change. And that I just needed to learn to get through it. And it certainly shaped you, right? Because I'm sure you often reflect on how that made you feel. Having that leader that didn't have those skills. Yes, 
Exactly. I reflect on that often. And I realize that part of what I need to do is to provide an environment. So recently, I have started to define my own uh, mission in life mm-hmm. is to create an environment so that others can attain their God-given potential, right? So that is what I see as my job today, you know, and that's being a leader too, right? Because I have to shape that environment. I got to make sure that that environment is a place where others can be successful, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I see as my role today. And that's how I would define success today. Because I, in some ways, I have accomplished a lot of things that I wanted to accomplish. Mm -hmm. But today I see my role as being somebody that helped create an environment because, you know, only God can create an environment. I can be a part of shaping and creating an environment Mm -hmm. that others can be successful. Yeah, and it's really important for us as leaders to continue to build those leadership skills because what we do does affect others. Absolutely. And and I think that we need to be lifelong leaders, right? So mm-hmm. it's like the continuous improvement process. We never arrive. We need to continue to hone in on those skills. And guess what? There are times we're going to blow it. I blow it every day, but I need to go back and be able to look at that in humility and say, what could I have done differently? Is there something that I could do to go back and say, I'm sorry? There are times that as leaders, we are human, right? Mm -hmm. We are going to blow it. And it's just important when we do that we are able to reflect on it and to have the confidence to say, what could I have done differently? And what am I going to do the next time this happens, right? Mm You mentioned lifelong learning, and that certainly does embody that. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Let's talk about the leadership game. Here are some of the things that you and your team will experience while playing. Team building, using a fun and engaging tool. The leadership game is a board game that allows everyone to gather around the table. Open sharing and communication. Every question and discussion card is designed to trigger open, honest feedback. Leadership skills assessment. The game challenges your team members to embrace who they are as leaders and stronger relationships. By the end of the game, team members will learn to appreciate one another and forge stronger relationships. A winning edge for any organization. So go to masterleadership.org forward slash TLG and find out how to bring the leadership game to your organization. What are you learning now as a lifelong learner? You know, I would say I have a teenage daughter who's 15 years old. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning who I need to be to her. And Mm -hmm. I have another daughter who's 10. It's easier to be dad to a 10 year old daughter than a 15 year old daughter. So because my three older kids are boys and they are 23 21 and 20. So they're in a different place. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's what I'm learning, you know, in my personal life. On the business side, I'm learning to let go. I'm learning to hire competent people who are really good at what they do. And I'm learning to lead people who are more competent in their areas than I am, you know, Mm -hmm. and being able to figure out how best to lead people who are more competent in their areas than I am. So when you say you're learning to let go, why is that important? 
Well, I think, you know, when you are an entrepreneur who just started a company or when you're a parent, right, and you're parenting your children, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes, you know, you want to kind of hold on to that because it's part of your identity. It's part of your responsibility. And I think that there's something to be said for taking ownership, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there is a balance, right? So I think one has to learn the difference between being an owner and then being able to, you know, let people, whether it's your children or whether it's employees, to be able to start to take on their own path and to be able to maybe kind of tweak, maybe able to give them some feedback. So some of that is a little bit more challenging to do, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes to allow people to make mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. That's another thing I would say, you know, sometimes I want to, you know, be dad or even at work, you know, I, I know that maybe a direction that we are taking may not be the right direction and I want to fix it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think I ought to give them some room in order for them to fail so that they can learn from that. Mm. So it's intentionally growing leaders around you. Yep. It's very important. Now, Sam, you've been in team sports and in business. What does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one? I think having a good team around you is everything, right? Mm-hmm. Because my pastor used to say that, you know, living life is a team sport. So forget about work, at home, community, society, you know, it takes others, right? So when it takes others, that means you're part of something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think having a team around you, a team that knows what success looks like, they are part in that. Alignment is important. Right. So in a family, in a business, in a growing concern, alignment is important. And so it means everything. My oldest daughter just started to crew. You know, we call that rowing in Sri Lanka and other parts of the world in the U.S. It's called crew. And I went to her first regatta and I saw how the people on the crew team, they were able to do what they do in unison. And they had a coxswain who sits at the front of the boat and is actually talking to them about two things. They're talking to them about pace and they're talking to them about direction. And I think that in a team, that's what you need, right? You need to understand the pace. Are you going fast enough? And are we heading in a good direction? You know, are all our efforts aligned and are we all working together? I think that's just important part of being a team. And one of the things that I learned is sometimes you have the ability to be the star of the show. And there are other times You have to be satisfied and fulfilled in playing second fiddle and allowing the team to win. So Mm -hmm. I think those are all uh, Mm -hmm. concepts that are very, very important as part of being on a good team. Um, I wrote down pace and direction. It brings to mind to me, even our conversation, the things that we're talking about are so important. But I also have to keep in mind our pace and direction, right? Because I have to honor your time and the direction we're going in. I learned from Sam T how to keep pace and direction here. And so, Sam, before I met you, I met Rachel and Alicia, and they spoke to me about the work that you do with sports and with youth. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so I wrote a book in memory of my dad. My dad passed away 
about 25 years ago. And I, in memory of my father, I wrote a book. And it's interesting because he used the game of cricket to teach me the game of life. The American audience would recognize his name. They said about Joe Pa, who used to be an illustrious coach at Penn State. And one of my good friends played for him. And he would tell me that Joe Pa used the game of football to teach the game of life. And so that's what my father did. He used the game of cricket to teach me the game of life. And so I took about 31 different aspects from the game of cricket. And I started to write about it. I wrote small chapters, 600, 700 words. Mm -hmm. And I wrote to a young audience, primarily globally, an audience that understands and appreciates cricket. But it's interesting that some coaches from football saw it, liked it, and have asked me to develop a curriculum around it for American students to be used in postgraduate high school. So these are kids who may take a semester after high school before they go away to college. So I'm actually in the process of creating a leadership curriculum from my book so that I can teach, you know, life lessons to these young people. And so these life lessons could be things like how to take initiative, how to prioritize, how to get guidance, whether it's from your coaches, whether it is from your parents, whether it is from God himself, how to exercise discernment in situations, discernment of people, discernment of seasons, discernment of situations, timing, right? We talked about pace, you know, what is the right timing for something? Mm -hmm. Things like being flexible, you know, what it means to be unpredictable and that kind of stuff. So what's the name of your book? So it's called The First 10 Runs in Singles. And what that means is, to use a baseball term, it would be how to get on base, right? So, you know, in baseball, you know, when the lead batter comes into bat, you're saying, hey, you know what? Let's get on base, right? Let's not try to swing for the fence. Let's get on base. Or if you're talking American football, it's how to get that first down and then you can build on that kind of thing. So what it means to somebody who appreciates cricket is to start slow, you know, get used to the environment around you, understand the people, understand the situation and play yourself in. My father used to tell me when I used to go into bat, son, play yourself in get the first 10 runs in singles. And once you build that foundation, you can actually create success from that. And so that's what I thought would be appropriate for the book that I wrote, you know, in his memory. Great. Now, if our listeners wanted to purchase the book, is there a website or a place where they can find that? Yes, it is available on Amazon as a hard copy. And it is also downloadable both in the Kindle and also in the Apple format, I believe. Wonderful. And as far as your curriculum? So I'm in the process of creating it this summer because I need to have it ready to go in August for the kids who are coming back to go to school in the fall. But once it is available, I can certainly let you know that. Okay, great. So Sam, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? I would say, you know, I'm somebody who has had challenges all my life, but I would say the challenges that were really consequential was after I got married and had children, I lost my job twice. Once, but my wife and I had three children, and then after my wife and I had our fourth. And so they were difficult times, you know, they were uncertain times. You know, it's one thing when calamity happens and you're by yourself. 
-hmm. It's another thing when you have others who are depending on you, when you have a wife and children and a sense of security, that's a much more difficult and much more severe thing. So I had to learn to deal with that. I had to learn to live with myself. I had to learn to deal with my own stomach, my own emotion. Uh, what I mean by my stomach is I couldn't hold anything down. I was nervous for a while. But you know what? Learn to acknowledge and understand where you're at and be able to recognize that these are times that, you know, the Bible says in our weakness, he is strong, you know, and that, you know, that we recognize that there is a higher power, you know, there is God above and that he cares about us. He loves us and he's not going to give you anything that's going to overwhelm you more than you can handle. That's where faith comes in faith in God, faith in yourself, faith in those around you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you learn to put one foot in front of the other and, you know, be able to work out of those situations. Faith is certainly something that is important. So thank you so much for that. Now, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? That's a tough one. <laughs> I really don't measure success like that. I would say that I've always had a lifelong desire to own a manufacturing company. Mm -hmm. And so being able to buy a manufacturing company out of bankruptcy and be able to be a part of bringing it back to what it used to be. And I wouldn't call it success yet, but we are certainly working every day to being able to get there, right? So for me, being able to create work, being able to have the people who work there continue to work there. and We're doing some rehab work there in putting together a new office, a new work environment. We are putting in new bathrooms, a new cafeteria. We had a fish tank there with some goldfish. I'm actually getting the fish tank repaired and I made sure that we saved the goldfish. Because, <laughs> again, right, that's practicing the fact yeah. that if you take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. So for me, I don't live to say, here's how successful I am. I also used to run the four into 100. Mm -hmm. And for me, success would be to be able to hand off the baton that my parents handed to me to my children. You know, where my children are God-fearing, you know, mm -hmm. that they are good providers for their family, the good husbands, good wives, and, you know, just good people in their community. That's how I would measure success. That's so well said and so inspiring. Thank you so much, Sam. Now, Sam, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well, and why? I do read quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So on my website, I put a few of the books that I would say that are very important to read. There's a book called The Switch that I read a few years ago. It talks about how to create change in a difficult environment. I would say that that book is a really good book. It talks about how to enable change. I have read some on people like Nelson Mandela and Winston Churchill, you know, because I believe that these were people who were extremely good leaders. I also read the Bible every day and I attend church and my pastor preaches a really good word on Sundays. He's just finished a series on Joshua. You know, Joshua was a leader in the Old Testament, you know, that led after Moses. If you think about Moses would be considered one of the best leaders known to man. And then right after that, Joshua took over from him. And so my pastor has been teaching now for about eight weeks, Sunday after Sunday on Joshua. So when I go to church, I actually take my phone with me and I take notes. Because again, Joshua was a human being, right? right? Just like you and me, but he was available and God used him to do you know, wonderful things. And so when you read about stories from the Bible, 
you know, these were not superhumans, but they were available and they were accessible to God so that he could use them to impact their generation. And so I guess for me, that's the biggest motivation is to be available and accessible and to be somebody who is willing to be used by God to influence the generation that he has placed you in. Right. And do extraordinary things. There you go. And we're capable. We can do that if we are available. And if we continue to think about how to serve other people, that certainly speaks to my heart. So thank you so much, Sam. Now, Sam, you have a lot of responsibility. So what is it that you do to set your mind to meet all these needs? So there are two things I try to do every day. Number one, I have a devotion every morning. I read some scripture and I pray every day. Sometimes I pray with my wife because it gives me an opportunity for us to kind of sync together. So maybe three times a week, you know, depending on where we're at. If I'm traveling, then I don't get to do that. But we try to pray together. Other times I pray myself. Then I try to get a good workout in. And then, you know, I think about those things that are in front of me to do. Part of being somebody who enjoys developing people, I always try to find people who may be able to better or do a task than me. So I try not to get involved in things that really don't need me to get involved in. So You're selective about the things you do. I am, and I'm doing better with that. I have been on many nonprofit boards, but my wife challenged me with thinking about that differently. And so I have actually resigned from a couple of boards so that I can focus more of my time on the things that really matter. Not that these things don't matter, but there are other competent people who can serve on these boards, lead these boards. And so, you know, I work behind the scenes on being able to recruit people to do these kinds of things so that I can even be a lot more focused. Now, you did mention that you have a website. If our listeners wanted to learn more about you, where can they do that? Personally, the website that I have started is samtnetwork.com. Dot com. So and it's samtnetwork.com. Yep. Okay. That's the primary portal that I use to be able to connect with people around the world and to be able to share content because other than content on leadership and life, I've also created some content on entrepreneurship and stewardship and also on servant leadership. So it seems like those are the three primary areas that I speak to and also teaching young people leadership through sport. Perfect. Thank you so much. Now, Sam, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I would start off by saying honor your parents, because I think that, again, your parents are people that, you know, God has placed in your life. And I'm sure there will be some people in your audience who may not have a parent present. And it's just important in those particular situations to be able to seek people, somebody who's a strong father figure or a strong mother figure that you can lean on, that you can trust, that you can emulate. So I would start off by saying honor your parents, you know, because when I was young, you know, there was a time when I was rebellious, but very quickly I realized, you know, that my parents had my best interest at heart and that I needed to listen to them first, you know, and then because I had a very rebellious childhood in the sense that I was all over the place. And so my father, when I was 18 years old, said, stop wasting your time and my money and sent me to work. And so I went to work and I started to get good at something. And then once I got good at it, you know, it started to build my confidence. And so sometimes I feel like these education systems force people you know, it's like a one size fit all, you know, because my mother was a science graduate. It was almost like that I was doomed to do chemistry, physics and biology. And I hated all three of them. 
But then when I went to work in business, I found that I could speak, I could sell. I knew how to work with people. I knew how to communicate in a way of business. In marketing, they say there are four Ps. There is product, there is price, there is placement and promotion. But there is a fifth P and that's called preference. I had a mentor who used to tell me, hey, that's the likability factor, right? When somebody likes you, when somebody knows you and somebody is familiar with you, then they figure out how to make the other four things line up. And so I always challenge people, especially people who are in the minority, to actually consider that. Because sometimes what happens is people are very quick to think about something. They use another P, the P is prejudice. Mm -hmm. And they're very quick to say when something doesn't go their way, oh, you know, that's because that person is prejudiced towards me. And then when you say that, that conversation stops there. There's nothing you can do about it and you become a victim of that process. But I challenge people to think about it as preference because even people of color, even people of ethnicity have preference, right? Because we all like to hang out with people we like to hang out with. And so if you define it as a preference issue, then you start to say, hey, what is it that I can do to make sure that I can get to these people based on the fact that they're familiar? And so I have had to, even in my career, have had to look at things like that. So I challenge young people not to immediately think of something and say, oh, you know what, be a victim. You have to be able to say, hey, how can I overcome in this situation? So how you define something is very important. And, you know, that's important because you're also taking responsibility for your language and your thinking, and it's disarming as well. So I love that. Instead of prejudice, replace it with preference and then work from there. So I appreciate that so much, Sam. Thank you. Yeah, because, you know, as I've traveled the world, there are places in the world that are not white. And so if you go there, you will see that, you know, people have preference there. So this is not a color or an ethnic issue. We are human beings. Things like proximity, things like preference. If you think about these things, you will start to recognize that there are other ways to be able to skin this cat rather than very quickly say, oh, you know, this person doesn't like me because right. of the color of my skin or the way I pronounce a certain word or because of my accent. You know, so you have to get over that and be able to say, how do I still overcome this situation? Mm, very well said. Thank you so much. Now, Sam, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed? I appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak. I would say that, you know, that was a parting word, and that is that, you know, there is no silver bullet to success, or there is no silver bullet to leadership. Part of what we need to learn from is failure. You know, I'm somebody who failed a lot. I had a leader who used to tell me, Sam, you're like a cat. You always land on your feet. Right. And he said that because he realized that, you know, I was somewhat reckless. You know, I got into situations a lot that I eventually had to get myself out of. And you have to learn to be able to embrace failure. Being a father, I see that. I see that with my children. You know, sometimes failure comes from the fact that you made a mistake. And sometimes failure comes from somebody else doing something to you. And now you're in a situation and you have to work yourself out of that. I think that, you know, we have to embrace failure and we have to learn from failure. Again, you know, don't be a victim, but to be able to say, okay, what is it that I can learn? 
and what does this allow me to do? Because the second time I lost my job, you know, I could have said, listen, woe to me. But I said, you know what? This was an opportunity for me to start my business. So mm -hmm. if I didn't lose my job, I may not have had the audacity to be able to start Parts Life. And I've been able to create success because of that failure, because of that close door. So we shouldn't be quick to always think that, you know, just because there was failure, sometimes because it was my own fault, mm -hmm. I'm going to beat myself up. Once you beat yourself up, you got to get up and, right. and, and go do the next thing, you know. Sam, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been an amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye-bye. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.